in Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. We're making progress. It's Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. We're going to read it here in a moment. And we've been in the, this book of Galatians looking at what is the gospel. We're, we're getting to the part where Paul says, okay, now that this is true, what, how does it affect how you live? I mean, I've talked about it and tried to apply it each week. Anyway, but this is where Paul's going to say, look at how wealthy you are in Christ. Now, let's, let's go put it to work. The grace actually does launch you into a life of obedience. So if you've been twitchy the whole time saying, Pastor hasn't told us anything to do, <laughs> it's coming, you can calm down. You know. but, but that's really the, the way Paul writes, and that's the way the gospel works, is it God, through his spirit, pours his love into your hearts, and it's like a, a big slingshot that's ready to launch you into mission to tell you about the great God who loves you this much, to tell others about the great God who loves you that much. And so let's read it, and we'll jump into the passage. It's Galatians chapter 5, 1 through 12. This is God's word. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you would, who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. And this is God's word. <laughs> it is absolutely true. And it is given to us because he loves us. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you would show us this morning uh, the only thing that matters, our, our faith in the crucified Son, which will then express itself in love. And so I pray you would help us believe that and, and then be so moved to, to selflessly serve one another and our neighbors around us. So send your spirit to open our eyes to see Jesus high and lifted up, to see your glory uh, bleeding on his face, and I ask also that you would send your spirit to help me speak and teach clearly, <coughs> to use this time to, to mold us into obedient children, Lord, ones who want to look like their father. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Oh, it's a weird way to end the passage, <laughs> and kind of lightens the mood, but I don't know, when you hear the end of the passage where Paul says, I, I wish they would emasculate themselves, it's hard to get ignore. Got, let's just deal with that right up front. 
Paul is not just being cranky. I mean, he is, because he's rightfully angry. (laughs) Nor is he just being crude. Part of it, he's so emotionally worked up. He cares for the church. He cares for you this much. He's so mad that something that means nothing, circumcision, in the grand scheme of things, is in danger, endangering the future well-being of these people that he loves. And so he says, if you are trying to be holy, why don't you go the whole way? Don't stop at circumcision. So there is some tongue-in-cheek stuff there. But you'll see as we go, if the, nothing else matters other than faith in Christ, then you can see why Paul is this worked up. That if, as one commentator put it, if we would love the church as much as Paul does, we would, we would be okay with what he's saying. Now, by way of introduction, this is, this is what this pa- passage is about. Right? The context has been, we've been talking about, how free we are in Christ, that Jesus, as he died and he rose again, as you put your faith in him, as you are accepted by God in Christ, as Christ himself is accepted, it's going to set you free. Positionally, subjectively, objectively, it it sets you free to be somebody who, who cares only what God thinks, and that will change the way you live your life. And this morning we're going to talk about motivation. It's not only going to set you free from your past, from your future. The gospel is there to reorient the motivational structures of your life, that faith would drive what you do to live a life of love. So uh, we're talking about salvation by grace. So just think think about it this way. What if your teacher told you at the beginning of the school year that you had an A no matter what you did? No matter what, whether you show up or not, you have aced the class regardless of how good or bad you actually do. Would you show up the next day? What if it's an 8 o'clock class from college? Would it get you to engage the coursework? How, how committed would you be? We could change the metaphor. What if your boss says, I'm going to double your salary and here's the check for the next year. Here's our project that we need done. Would you go to work? Would you enjoy your job? Would you stay committed? Or would you just stay at home and binge on Netflix all day? <laughs> You're getting the idea. And I'm t- I've told you that what the scriptures are telling you, that you are absolutely free, that God in his grace accepts you no matter what. That you are forgiven of your sins, past, present, and future in Christ. Christ is the center of gravity. If you have put your trust in him, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so eventually we get to this point and say, why should I obey? What's the point? If God's going to forgive me, why can't I just go and enjoy my life? That's really what this is about. How do you get anybody to do anything? (laughs) How do you get people motivated to do something they don't naturally want to do? It's what governments want to know. It's what legislation happens to try and control us, to get us to do the right thing. Because we aren't naturally loving. Um, Parents, we, this is our reality. Trying to get our kids to notice who's right next to them. Uh, As adults, we apparently don't really grow out of that. (laughs) It's still a battle every day. And then you add in this relationship with God, the one whom we were made to love with all our heart, 
with all our soul and our all mind and strength, what will get you to obey him? Is it the law or is it grace? And if, if your future is that certain, why be nice? Why be generous? Why go out and talk about Jesus? Why come to church on Sunday? You know, there's a, how does grace change the way you live your life? That's what Paul is, is going to get into here. Because motivation is the issue in, the, in Galatians. The false teachers were saying, you need to be circumcised if you want to get into heaven. They're using the law as a motivator. They're using fear as a motivator. And Paul's saying, no, the only thing that will get you motivated to love, to really love somebody, is faith in Christ. Your faith working itself out in love. And how does that work? Well, that's what we got to look at here. There's a, this whole section right here is kind of a shotgun blast of Paul's statements, but there is one big theme. He just wants you to see that the only thing that matters is faith working itself out in love. And so let's, let's ask this question. What's going to get us to change, and how does the law not help us? <laughs> well, point number one, does the law get us to change? If you look at verse 6, it says, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. It doesn't matter. It's worthless. And that probably doesn't shock you the way that it should. If you're, not a, if you're not an Old Testament Jew who's grown up in these things, you haven't heard the bombshell that Paul drops. So I'll rephrase it. When it's, it's saying when it comes to being accepted by God and growing in faith, I'll argue, religion or irreligion doesn't count. It's not going to get you motivated. Your goodness or badness doesn't count. Your moral successes or your moral failures, they don't count. These are the kind of things. Uncircumcision and circumcision are two different ways of talking about trying really, really hard to be a law keeper. The circumcision is the gateway into the law, being good. And uncircumcision, those who have lived their lives without the law. And Paul says, they don't count for anything. Let's, let's do the hard work and figure out what he means by that, because that, that really is a bombshell. He's saying, Jesus has thrown the whole thing off kilter. It's not about you. All right, and we've been saying this over and over again, that the debate in the Galatian church is around circumcision, and the false teachers were saying things like this. You can find it in Acts 15.1, that unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So yeah, you believe in Jesus, but you can have no certainty of God's love unless you keep the law, starting with circumcision. And they were telling this to the Galatians who are non-Jews. And it was dividing the church. It was splitting them, splitting them in two, saying you need the law to change you so that God will love you. So the order of the Christian life that they were saying is you've got to believe in Christ, you've got to keep the law, and then you'll be saved. Whereas the gospel is completely radical. It turns it upside down. It says you believe in Christ, you're absolutely in. You're fully saved. And that'll get you to obey. 
Or you could say it this way, right? That the false teachers are saying, believe in Jesus, live a life of love, and then you'll be saved. Because the goal is to trying to get you to be loving. It's still the same goal. Live a life of love. Love of God and love of neighbor. Or the gospel order, which is know how much you're loved by God, trust him, believe in Christ, and that'll produce in you a life of love. See the difference? And so that what the false teachers were communicating was that Jesus wasn't enough. You need to do more. You need to do better. You need to shape up or you're going to get shipped out. You don't belong unless you're trying really, really hard to keep the law. And circumcision is just like the entrance exam. You start there, you got to keep the whole thing. And for the Old Testament Jew, this was huge. This was a badge of pride. The circumcision meant you were in. That, that's how you knew you were a child of God. They looked to their ethnic heritage, and they looked to this marker. And Paul says, that's worthless now in Christ. That's nothing to do with it. That's, that's harsh. But Paul gets even more graphic in Philippians 3.8. Listen to this one. I count everything as rubbish in order to gain Christ and to get this righteousness from God that depends on faith. And the language isn't rubbish. That's just the translators trying to clean it up. It's dung. It's poop. He says, you put all this together, this is what Paul is saying, Un circumcision or uncircumcision, your goodness, your badness, everything is just a pile. It's just throw your resume in the trash. It's worthless when it comes to be, accepting by, to be accepted by God. So all that matters is if you are in Christ or not in Christ. You see, this is what I've been trying to get us to see, that Christianity is like being given, it's like, a, it's like a class where you're given an A despite failing the exam. And you have that mark no matter what you do. Where the false teachers were saying, well, you won't even pass the course unless you get circumcised. And Paul says, that's, that's just wrong. It's rubbish. And if you accept circumcision, Jesus will be no profit for you. You won't gain anything at all. God won't like you more. He won't love you any. If you <laughs> His love is not conditioned on your obedience. You see it? If you look at this verse where Paul says, if you accept circumcision, Jesus will be no profit for you. He's using accounting language. You can picture it. And these guys are saying, if you get your life in order by keeping the law, if you live a life of love, God's going to love you. Your account's going to be full with him. You're going to get richer. And Paul says, no, it's actually going to do the opposite. It's going to make you obligated to keep the whole law. It's going to put you in debt. Where you think you're going to be up here, it's going to separate you from Christ, and you're going to be on the outside. So, does the law get you to love Will it produce something, a loving life in you? Paul says it's worthless. Circumcision or uncircumcision, it doesn't matter. If it doesn't get you, it won't give you the emotional resources you need to pour out yourself in service of your neighbor. 
It doesn't count. It's inadequate. And if you go through with circumcision, you're going to be cut off from Christ. You're actually going to cut yourself off from Jesus and grace. This whole section, Paul's just using tongue-in-cheek language, talking about cutting. And if you cut yourself to show how holy you are, you're going to be cut off from God because you're putting all of your faith in your performance rather than Christ. So that's the warning. If you and I apply it to us, if we think that we can live our lives in God's kingdom based on how well we're doing, Paul says that is a slippery slope. You're in danger of being cut off, of missing the whole boat because your faith is in yourself, not, your, not what Christ has done. The language here, when he says circumcision doesn't matter, it's, it's talking about ability. It doesn't have the ability within itself to get the job done, to produce a life of love. That if the same verb would be used to describe a person, they would just say they're not weak enough, or they're not strong enough to do it. That if I would say to you, you have a job here, I want you to lift a, lift a one-ton weight by your own strength and hold it for 10 seconds, you'd say, I can't do that. Paul says that's what circumcision, that's what a life relying on the law will do. It's not strong enough. Circumcision is useless to get you into heaven, into a relationship with God, because it'll obligate you to keep the whole thing perfectly. Hmm. Now, with that being true, and we've talked about this week in and week out, if a life of law won't get you in, nor does a life without law get you in, you're starting to see that if you rely on the law, it doesn't make you loving. It actually makes you centered on yourself. Because if we feel like we have to impress God in order to get into heaven, in order to have a relationship with him, ultimately we're thinking about ourselves. If I... If I don't want to go to hell, I put my faith in Jesus. Who's at the center of that equation? <laughs> it's me. Or if, if I just want rewards, if I just want the benefits, right? it's, it's using someone else for my own benefit. It's manipulation. And Paul's saying that's what happens when you use the law to try and produce a life of love. It doesn't make you more loving. It turns your eyes in on yourself, which is the very heart of sin. So Martin Luther was beating repeatedly that sin is the heart curved in on itself. Circumcision doesn't matter. And then he says uncircumcision doesn't matter either. Because on the one hand, if you try and focus your whole life on your own performance, it'll turn your, your eyes in on yourself, not on Christ. But throwing the law out will do the same thing. Because a life of love is not formed through strict outward law keeping. Because <laughs> if you lose Jesus, okay, hold on. can't read my own notes here. <laughs> well, I'll back up here. Talk about the law. Trying to keep a, a life of law. 
trying to become loving through the love. But if, if your joy is based on how well you are doing rather than on Christ, you're going to live a life of a roller coaster. So we have a great example from Scripture is the disciples. Um, <laughs> the disciples were given power to cast out the demons, to heal people. This is in Luke chapter 9 and 10. Where Jesus sends them out and says, I want you to go live a life of love. I want you to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and help people. And they come back absolutely on cloud nine because they said evil is fleeing from us. The demons are running away. And that was right before in the previous chapter in Luke chapter nine where they couldn't cast out a demon from a boy who was, had epilepsy and kept hurting himself. And so Jesus has the, the, the wisdom to say, don't celebrate your successes and failures. He says what? Rejoice that your names are written in the kingdom of heaven. The same idea. Circumcision doesn't count. Uncircumcision doesn't count. Only being in Christ, only faith, working itself in love will get ourselves off of ourselves, get our eyes off ourselves. That's the warning. <laughs> the question, what do you, what do, you do with the, these kind of warnings when you hear this? Like Paul is saying clearly that if we turn our eyes off Christ, if we orient the very foundational structures of our lives to relate to God by how well we are doing, that you're cut off from Christ. How do we do that as Reformed Christians? Because <laughs> our theology tells us, and Paul will tell you in, in other places, that once you become a Christian, you're in, and nothing can ever separate you from the love of God as in Christ. So how can he say you're in danger of losing it? It'd be really easy to skip over this and say, well, you're, you're good because you're in Christ. Why does Paul give this kind of warning? I mean, one, just think about it. The beauty of the gospel is it gives you the perspective from eternity. That God can see the beginning from the end, that if you have put your faith in Christ, it is guaranteed. He knows that you will be there at the end. Those he has justified, he has also glorified. He will see you at the end. But we don't live in eternity. We live right now. And one of the things that I think Paul is intending and, and actually accomplishes is when he gives a warning, he says, this is a very real danger. The law is hot. Don't touch. Run the other direction. Because the way I grow and the way you grow and the way we get saved from our own foolish thinking and running off and doing or just breaking the law and doing dumb things is it's actually in real space and real time with real people. <laughs> if somebody doesn't warn you or I the dangers of the law or the dangers of becoming more selfish, what's going to stop us? God ordains us as the means to give his warnings, to, to point out the beauty of the gospel, to draw people back through faith. So yeah, it is a real warning, and I think we should hear it as a warning. 
because this is offensive to say Paul is saying throw your resume on the dung heap the only thing that matters is Christ's performance first done out of love for God but also done out of love for you that the only thing we bring to this is our failure (laughs) we should hear it But it's also a refining warning, saying, do you really see the beauty of the radical nature of the gospel that pushes you to say, my trust and my trust alone is in Jesus? That my whole standing is a, it's based on how beautiful, how perfect his law-keeping is and was. One of the things Jesus said Echoing the Psalms, he said, I delight to do your will, O God. That is my delight. It's not, I wanted to do this. This is my joy. And for him, obedience was death on a cross. That's how God sees you. That you're called to be faithful in the midst of the hard things. As somebody who was faithful in in the midst of hell on the cross. The warnings there is to say, Paul, to teach us to take our spiritual, to take our morality out of our spiritual accounting, to trust in Jesus's record for you. Your account is full. You can't make it any fuller. (laughs) It's infinite. You are righteous in Christ by faith. It's a righteousness apart from the law has appeared and lived a life of love. And it's now yours. Trust him. Unbelievers want to look at us and say, why do you care about the law all that much anyway? Just throw it out. You try too hard to keep up a standard. That's why Paul says uncircumcision doesn't matter. It's not going to produce a life of love. Because at the core, I'll be either trying to do life my way, I'm just going to do me, or trying really, really hard to impress God by living life my way. It's still me. Only the gospel says you have a different center of gravity from the outside, from heaven coming down to earth and says, follow me. It throws throws everything off balance. Religious legalism won't set you free from yourself, nor will, um, what are you going to say, irreligious freedom. It's going to send you, both will send you into slavery to self. I can illustrate this for you. Flannery O'Connor is one of my favorite authors. He probably had to read this story in college. Maybe English that a a good man is hard to find. Does that sound familiar to some of you guys? It's fine if you you don't. I'm going to tell you the story. Um, (laughs) She had a really powerful way of using story to shock people, to to show what grace is. She was writing in the 1930s in the Bible Belt, in the South, surrounded by racism, surrounded by Christians who proclaim to be followers of Christ but live their whole life based on their performance. And so she wrote this story, A Good Man is Hard to Find, and here's what it's about. You have this family of five heading on vacation to Florida, and this convict is running around. He just escaped, known as the misfit. And so the grandmother has no desire. She's the main character here. She has no desire to go to Florida. 
She wants to go to Tennessee. But she sucks it up, the family. She's riding with her son and, and all of his wife and three kids. And so she gets in. She dresses herself real nice. She says, you know, we go on this long road trip and we get in an accident. I want everyone to see that I'm a nice, respectable lady. <laughs> and she was told not to take the cat, but she brings the cat. She hides it in a, in a basket under a blanket and puts it under the seat right by her feet so no one can see it. And she just talks the whole journey. You're getting an idea of what's going on in her head, what kind of person she is. She sees uh, a little African-American child and uses the cultural language of the day that, um, well, you would be publicly shamed for using now. She just tells jokes, showing, talking about and assuming how superior white people are over black people. You know, they get, go to stop at a restaurant for lunch, and she just starts talking to an owner and says, you know, the world out there, it's just a mess. A good man is hard to find. Nobody's trustworthy anymore. All the while having these <laughs> immoral thoughts. Well, they leave. They leave the restaurant. They get, after lunch, Grandma takes a nap, and she wakes up, and she looks around all the scenery, and she's just really excited. This looks exactly like where I grew up. And so she starts begging and pleading and telling the kids about this fantastic house that she grew up in. It had secret passages. She's just making stuff up, really. She just wants to go see it. And the kids get all whiny and annoying, and the dad, who never deviates for anything, says, fine, we're going to turn around, we'll go down this dirt road, and we'll see if we can find this house. And this road is terrible. It's a dirt road, it's bumpy, uh, the car's barely keeping it together. And just as the grandma has this horrible thought, she moves, kicks the cat, the cat jumps onto Bailey's head, the son, the driver, cranks the wheel, and they roll and get into an accident. Everyone's okay. Grandma realizes that she was looking for the house in the wrong state and, deci and decides to keep that to herself. <laughs> and as they're waiting for someone to come help them, of course, the first car that comes up is the misfit and his gang, these convicted criminals. And everyone knows what's about to happen. They're going to take the car, take the stuff, and it's brutal. And the grandma just can't stop talking. And so she starts pleading with the misfits. Like deep down, you're a good person. You, you've got good blood. You just look good. You're a good man. Just start praying. Jesus will help you. You don't have to do this. And as she's doing this, heard the gang's taking her son and, and out into the woods, and all they hear is a gunshot. The misfit says, ma'am, I'm fine on my own. She says, why don't you just pray? And she just starts saying Jesus and Jesus over and over again. You can't do this. You've got good blood. And this is what the misfit says. Jesus, why do you say Jesus? He's thrown everything off balance. He's the only one who ever raised the dead, and he shouldn't have done it. If he did what he said, then it's nothing for you to do but throw away everything and follow him. And if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then it's nothing for you to enjoy the few minutes you have the best way you can, by killing or burning or some kind of meanness. Jesus has thrown everything off balance. The grandma touches him, he freaks out, he, he kills her. And the misfit says, which is the last line of the story, she would have been a good woman if somebody had been there to shoot her every minute of her life. And then it ends. 
I know you're saying, why in the world did I tell you that story? <laughs> it's, real, it's real cheery. But it makes a graphic point that the law does not turn you into the person. It cannot make you a, a loving person. That's what she's doing. Just, just obey the law. Just pray. Jesus will help you. Just do good. Stop. Didn't make her into a good person. <laughs> Even though she looked nice, she was respectable. She had a dress on. He's saying the only thing that would motivate her to be a good person is, is the threat of execution. That's what the law does. A good man is hard to find. It's showing you the same thing that Paul is, that circumcision or uncircumcision matters. Only faith work expressing itself through love because Jesus has thrown everything off balance. But if he really lived and he really died, then you come to him. You've got to deal with him. But the law is not going to make you nice. It's going to hold a gun to your head. And you might be nice for a little bit, but it doesn't change you on the inside. And that's what Flannery O'Connor so brilliantly shows. Didn't make, didn't keep her from lying. It didn't make her love her family. She loved her cat. What will motivate us to love God and love our neighbor? And Paul says it's being in Christ. Look at verse 5. Paul says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Paul's saying, and hope is a confusing word in English compared to the Greek. But hope is actually a certainty. So you've got to rework the, the way you read that sentence. That the Holy, by the Holy Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the certainty of righteousness coming to us. And what, what Paul is saying is that righteousness is absolutely yours. It will come to you. You, you already are in Christ treated as if you what, what you will be, blameless. So because Jesus is alive, because he's thrown everything off balance by his life, by faith, you have the certainty of being accepted right now so we can get off the treadmill of performing and to have a, a love for somebody who first loved us. You see it? So Paul's saying, through a shotgun blast of all kinds of statements, that Jesus has thrown everything off balance. The only thing that matters is faith in Christ, expressing it through love that you have a rock-solid identity to build your life on, that if you are in Christ, because you are in him, you will be motivated to live a life of love because you are treated and loved. It's, if how you are seen is how you will be seen, will then be a driving force in you and become a result. It'll become reality in your life. It's faith motivated that motivates love. Now think about it this way. What is the only thing that matters? Faith working through love. The law demands that you love God with all your heart, with all your, with all your being, 
And then love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. But it doesn't give you the resources to stop thinking about yourself. And what grace does, what this hope of righteousness that Paul is talking about does, it gets your eyes onto somebody who actually lived a life of love. You know, there's a, there's a scene in Luke chapter 7 where Jesus goes to a funeral. It's a, it's a widow's funeral. There's a, it's a funeral for a widow who lost her only son. And the beauty of that story is that Jesus enters into this place of grief as he stops the funeral procession and he comes along and he touches the dead body and he raised his son to life. And she get a picture of what love looks like. There's nothing in Luke chapter 7 about Jesus saying, look at me, I just raised him from the dead. Look how loving I am. No, all he does is he comes through power, raises him up, takes the boy, takes him to his mother, who, who had lost everything, who now has a future, and makes the whole thing about her. He lives a life of love in a place, we don't even know how to do that. That's one of the most difficult places to not think about ourselves is when someone else is suffering. And Jesus, his whole eyes, the whole center of his gravity is just consumed with, with her suffering. When you see Christ, if you start to get your eyes off yourself, it drives us out to want to do that. All the while giving us the resources by faith to obey. See, false teachers will appeal to your pride. They'll appeal to, to judgment. They'll appeal to you, which is a very powerful motivator. But the gospel says, look at what your Savior has done. And Charles Spurgeon said it in a great way. He said, once upon a time, there was a king who owned everything in the land. And one day there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. And out of great love and respect, he took that carrot to the king and said, my Lord, out of my love and respect, I just want you to have this carrot, the best thing that I own, my most precious possession. And the king was so moved and discerned the man's heart. As he turned to go, the king said, wait, clearly you're a man, a, a good steward of the earth. I want to give a plot of land to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. And the gardener was just amazed and delighted, and he went home rejoicing. <laughs> and the whole time, there was this nobleman there listening. He overheard all this. He said, wow, if that's what you get for a carrot, what if I give the king something better? And the next day, the nobleman came before the king, leading a handsome black stallion, his most prized horse. And he bowed low. He said, my lord, I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or will ever breed. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and my respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, thank you, and took the horse and said, you may go. And the nobleman was perplexed. His mind was blown. <laughs> the king said, look, the farmer gave me a carrot, but you were simply giving yourself the horse. <laughs> you see that? Motivation 
is everything. That's why Paul says the only thing that matters is faith working itself out through love. But if you don't want to obey God for God's sake, because he's loved you for your sake, the heart's going to stay turned in on itself. And the funny thing that happens is as you come to Christ, you get the spirit where you're given the power to give your, get your eyes off yourself, which is next week's sermon. So I'll conclude this way. I was trying to push really hard for you to see just the, the radical nature of what Paul is teaching, which is really what Christ taught, the gospel. And that the only thing that will get us to obey is grace. Because it's a power. It's, a pro- it's the power of a person living for you and in you and among you. And so you can either try and change and be loving by your discipline, through your hard work, your, your sweat, your blood, sweat, and tears. Or you can put your trust in Christ, throw your resume in the dung heap, let your past, present, and future be burned up in the fires of wrath on the cross. And then let the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead come and make you like Christ. And the funny thing that happens is, is the Spirit actually gets you to obey the law. Paul says, it's, Paul says it's nothing, but then it's actually the guide to show you how to live. The law is the picture of what you will become if you believe life of love and I started by asking if you were given an A no matter what you did in the class would you show up and learn would you enjoy the class would you like the professor well you probably definitely would like that professor and it was a true story actually this young lady went to college and was got the syllabus was face to face with an English course that she could never pass it was she was overwhelmed. She was obsessed over her own performance. And <coughs> so when she complains to her dad, her dad did what a good dad did, was go with her to the office to complain. And when they got to the office, the English teacher could see clearly this girl, this poor girl, is just completely worked up. She's about to cry. She clears everyone out and says, all right, let's talk. What if I give you an A for the course right now, no matter what you do? Would you stay in my class? With tears in her eyes, she's like, uh-huh. <laughs> but she did it right there. She opened the grade book. She wrote in it. She said, you have an A. And the funny thing that happened was that she went to class. She listened. The fear of judgment was gone. And she actually did A-level coursework out of love for that teacher and the course material. Because... Her teacher had taken away the fear of judgment. Her whole relationship changed. Her motivation changed. So go and learn what it means that the only thing matters is faith in Christ by the Spirit working through love. Let's pray. Father, we, we heard this amazing gospel that our obedience and our disobedience have been taken to the cross, we are, we are free. And I know we're all still sinners, we all still fight our own flesh, and so I pray for us who have been believers for a long time, that you would show us how freeing the gospel is, and that we'd use that and mold that 
to deepen a love for you, which would then launch us into a life of faith and obedience. If there are those here who do not know you, who have been putting their trust in their own obedience, may they hear your warning. That Christ's righteousness is what gets us accepted. I just pray for our church, Lord, that as we have spent the last five weeks here, or five weeks, the last month looking at the gospel, that you would use this not to become more self-centered and make it about me and Jesus, but you would use this to set us free from ourselves, that we would be a people on mission, living a life of love, empowered by your grace. That we would love because you have first loved us. May these things be true. In Jesus' name, amen.